You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. We started a series last week called I Am a Member. I Am a Member. And we like to say around here, TCC is a great place to attend, but it's a better place to belong. And uh, my hope in this series is that you would want to be a member of the Calvary Church, but not a member as maybe you would think of. We talked about last week uh, our membership cards to Sam's Club and Costco and some Jeff Ruby's. Some had membership cards to Jeff Ruby's restaurant. Um, But we weren't just talking about that, but we were talking about what it means to be connected to the body, because that is exactly what Paul had in mind when he talked about membership. And so we've printed for you this week some membership cards. Anybody want their membership card? Wouldn't that be great? All right. Are, Are the ushers prepared? Did you already pass them out, Teresa? Did we get those passed out? No? Nothing? They look like that? Did everybody get your membership card? All right. All right. You're like, that, that's not a, a membership card. It doesn't even have my name on it. And, and that's the point of membership here. These are great membership cards because these are meant to connect people to the mission of what Christ is doing through us. And so these are our membership cards, but they're not for us to keep, they're for us to give away. And so as we mentioned in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. That the framework for this series is that we are meant to be connected. Everybody say amen. We're meant to be connected. We talked about the importance of membership. I won't dive into this. We need membership. We need connection to one, one to another to function as a body. Your hand needs the rest of the body to actually work as the hand, and we need membership to live spiritually. If we're going to survive in this day, we need to be connected to one another to survive. And so we dove into the importance of the local church. I won't take time for that, uh, but I encourage you. Last week, I, I taught you some secret codes about the Calvary Church, some secret handshakes. No, I'm kidding. I'm just trying to get some of you to listen to last week if you didn't. Um, but, but we want and see the value of the local congregation. My hope is that you will connect yourself to a local body because that's actually how you function as a member. We can't say we're a member of the body without being connected to a local expression of that body. And that's a biblical thing. We walked through that last week. Now, at the Calvary Church, what do members of the Calvary Church No, first of all, members accept the mission. Here, we stay connected by one mission, and that is the Calvary Church exists to help people find a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and to live out his purpose. That's why the Calvary Church exists, and that's what connects us, is a mission. And so that's what we know, but what do members do? We talked about how to bless, and you've 
If you went through our assimilation, you've heard this, but I want to reiterate it, that we bless our families, our church, and our communities with our lives. How do we do that? We belong locally. We learn truth. We experience transformation. We share light, and we serve others. We bless. Our life should be producing fruit so that it blesses other people around us. And so how do we bless people? We have to be connected to a body to be a blessing. And so we, learnt, we read in 1 Corinthians 12 that the gifts of the Spirit are given to each member to function for the benefit of the whole body. Well, how can you benefit the whole body if you're not connected to the whole body? How can you minister the gifts of the Spirit without being connected to the body? So being connected to the body is vital, and we encourage that uh, in, in this kind of phrase, to bless one another, belong locally, learn truth, experience transformation, share light, and serve others. We gave you an evaluation last week. You probably received that when you walked in today as well. Some of you did it last week. I encourage you to walk through that. Evaluate your membership. Evaluate your connection to the Calvary Church. Uh, and and uh, I hope that, that it'll, it'll encourage you. It'll, it'll help you see how valuable you are to what happens here through the local expression called the Calvary Church. Now, the goal of tonight's lesson is, uh, and the focus of tonight's lesson is, if we are the body and we are on a mes- mission, what guides that mission? What is the vehicle we're riding in? What is keeping us moving in the right direction? What unifies us as we pursue the mission? And so we have five core values that, we, that keep us aligned on the mission that God has called us to. You hear these, you've heard these, if you've, again, gone through assimilation, if you've gone through Discover Calvary, Membership 101, or Ministry 201, you've heard these five core values, but I don't know that I've ever taught them in a comprehensive sense. And, and again, I, I don't have time tonight, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna cover them all in one night, so I'm, I'm abbreviating them a little bit, but honestly, they could be each a lesson and uh, I think are very powerful. But these five core values are how we move as a body. It's what guides our movement. So let me, let me start with the first one. The first one is the will of God at any cost. And I grew up with this motto. Uh, this statement was written on every birthday card I received. It was written on uh, every Christmas card that I received from my parents. They would write on it, the will of God at any cost. And so when I forced my way into the Pasley family years ago, I was amazed that this was the motto that the Calvary Church had embraced. I, I didn't realize that. My dad did not get it from Bishop Pasley. Uh, it was something that uh, he uh, discovered on his own, and he just wrote it on every card. And then uh, Bishop Pasley the first and second, they embraced this as the motto for this church. So there's a picture. I think this was created by those of you who knew Harold Heimkreider. Uh, I think he created this sign. This sign, I think, still sits outside uh, by the water fountain of our church today. Uh, and it speaks to who Calvary is, what our, our ultimate direction is. It's the number one guiding value, and it's our compass and has been for a long time, and I thank God for it. It should be the orientation of every Christian, the will of God at any cost. 
what is the will of God? What do we understand about the will of God? And sometimes you can think of the will of God as some mystical thing or something hidden, but for the most part, the will of God is understandable. It's understandable. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, that you can understand what the will of the Lord is for your life. Let me just throw out a couple things. There's a lot more, but it's the will of God for you to be born again. If you've never been born again, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's in the Bible, it's the will of God for you to experience that, for you to be born again. Anybody been born again in here? All right. It's obedience to the gospel. The will of God is clear. It's the will of God for you to live above the control and dominion of sin. It's that's God's will for your life. His desires for you to live above the control and dominion of sin, for you to live in obedience. It's not mystical. It's the will of God. Now, again, our statement, our motto here at the Calvary Church, what guides us is the will of God at any cost. It's the will of God at any cost. I think for some, and I've had times in my life where sometimes I limit what I'm willing to spend on the will of God. I I limit that. But the, the real challenge, the real thing that motivates us is to live out the will of God no matter what it costs us. And we're always inspired, right? We're inspired by those missionaries and those people who pack up everything. And I'll mention Mike and Julie McGahey. We're inspired by people who say, you know what? We're just going to live for God and we're going to do what we're called to do. And, and you know what? That's, that is great and that's important. But I, I can guarantee you that we can live the will of God at any cost without ever moving locations, You don't have to move overseas to live out the will of God at any cost. It's the will of God that you and I are spirit-led, that the spirit of God is able to work through us. I thank God for January, the experience that we had where we really gave ourselves to prayer and fasting and restoration because there was something that happened as we surrendered our lives to God, God's spirit became clearer in our lives. God didn't become bigger. We just removed some things in our life that allowed us to hear him better. And so the will of God at any cost is a guiding principle, guides us as the Calvary Church. Number two, the Bible is the supreme authority. So the second value that guides us is realizing that the Bible is the supreme authority. It's our roadmap for our lives. We accept that. We embrace that. Those of you who are connected to this body have embraced this idea that if it says it in its word, if it's, if it's written in here, we're going to do our best to live it out and embrace it. That's what we've accepted. And so we accept that the Bible is the supreme authority for a couple reasons. And I'll, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, the preservation. The preservation of the Bible. No book in the ancient world comes to us with more integrity than the Bible. There's no, there's no other ancient manuscript. And we believe a lot about things in history based on manuscripts and history 
that doesn't have as much integrity as the Bible. When you consider the Old Testament and how it came to be and the scribes who were so careful to record every detail and make sure that the one copy married the other copy and you when you see that, you realize how preserved this is over thousands of years. If you have a chance, look at the read up on the Dead Sea Scrolls and see how that kind of sheds even newer light on, on how, the, how particular the Old Testament was and its preservation. And then the New Testament is upheld and we realize the integrity of the New Testament because of the large number of manuscripts that were found that dated so closely. I think there's a copy of John that dates to within 50 years of John's life, which in ancient literature is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And so when you read the the numbers of manuscripts and that all of them uh, are able to come together and they can find the heirs and those kind of things, you realize how preserved this word is. And so that's that's a good reason to believe that the Bible is the supreme authority. We realize in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, all scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is inspired. It's God-breathed. And so we, we accept that. We realize how important that is, the preservation. But then we can look at prophecy. So there's preservation and then there's prophecy. You can read in the Bible prophecy after prophecy. I think there's over 6,000 prophecies in the Bible and thousands have been fulfilled already. Scholars tell us that there were over 300 prophecies about Christ and, and the prophets foretold of things that uh, ancient cities and ancient nations and, and they would come to pass. And, and even now, Countless prophetic utterances are being realized, and the Bible uh, is proven just about every day by the prophecies that are contained in its book. And there are prophecies concerning different times and different people and different events that are happening. You can read what's going on right now with Israel and, and uh, what's going on in that country right now. And you can find those prophecies in scripture. You can find the prophecies about Jesus Christ being crucified and brutally beaten in the Old Testament before there was even a crucifixion. Before Rome had even come up with this idea, you can see these prophecies. And so we realized, and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday, but Christ himself predicted that there would be worldwide wars and rumors of wars. And he predicted all these things that when we look up, we go, hello, that's happening today. And the Bible predicted gross immorality and rebellion. That's happening around us. It predicted a beast It predicted a mark, something that humanity would take in or take on them that would ultimately allow them to buy and sell. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, uh, when you saw the images of this, it looked like a Sharpie. Somebody wrote 666 on somebody's forehead because that was all we could imagine. How would that happen? Now, we know how it's going to happen for the most part. It's going to be a chip or something easily inserted because we're, in order to buy and sell in this world, 
you're going to have to take some kind of mark. You're going to have to, and, and again, please excuse me, I'm not making any political statement with this, so you can talk about the vaccine one way or the other, doesn't care. I'll tell you I'm vaccinated, okay? So there's that, all right? So uh, HIPAA laws are over, I'm vaccinated. All right, so, but, but when, you, when you realize, when you realize how much of a push it is, you can't do certain things unless you are vaccinated. It's not a stretch. It's not a stretch. And so you realize where it's going. Now, now it's becoming clear. So these prophecies that seem so distant and see, how is that, that going to emerge? I don't know about you, but it's, I, I mean, it seems pretty clear. The prophecies are, are being fulfilled. So you got preservation of the word of God. You got prophecies of the word of God. And then there's the power that comes from the word of God. One of the greatest prophecies that, that we can point to brings us to our next point of power. It's found in Isaiah 28, verse 11. Now think about this. This is before Jesus came. This is before the, the uh, uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Isaiah 28, for with stammering lips... And another tongue, he will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. The reality and the power of people being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, to me, is great evidence for why I can believe this as the supreme authority in my life. Because what is written and what is said comes to pass. It doesn't matter if you're a, a child, an adult. It's amazing to me to watch people who have no clue what the Bible says begin to speak in tongues. Pretty amazing, right? Now, I want to invite quickly somebody to come up here, an amazing man who you don't get to talk to very often because there's a little bit of a... Uh, uh, communication gap sometimes. But I appreciate Chris Stiglitz, and I appreciate... And he's dealt with hearing loss pretty much all his life since he was two years old, and I thank Francis for interpreting for him. And tonight, he's just going to share you his story of receiving the Holy Ghost. Thank the Lord, sir. Praise the Lord. Love you guys. You are a blessing. Yeah. Um, the professor who got to my parents first believe in all the methods of teaching that children to think had hearing had possible. They warned my parents not to let me learn sign language and that I would bring embarrassment on them by waving my arm around in the air. At the time of Cal at the time Callum you had the best oil program in the state. I tell you that so that you will understand that even though I am Jack I am comfortable in speaking and using my voice. Growing up, I really had no concept of God. 
my parents should happen from one domination to another, even the Unitarian Church. Uh, they tried to teach me right from wrong, but that was a shame because those concepts were abstract. I remember being really being so born in church, I couldn't handle it anymore. Since there was no interpreter at that time, and I wouldn't have understood them anyway. One day when I just couldn't take it any longer, I yelled in a loud voice, take me home. This place is born. Can you imagine the sound of that bouncing off the stone wall of the church from the balcony? <laughs> After that, my parents let me stay home on Sunday. As I grew up, I still had no feelings about God. It could not have been real, just not in my life. Because my cousin prayed for a car and God answered her prayer. I decided to pray and I got to help me understand what's going on in the world and make sure that I would survive. Later, when I graduated from high school, I moved into St. Paul, Minnesota to attend Tactical Vocational Institute. Many deaf people, many deaf students went. By this time, I had Secretly learn how to sign by giving, by going to the hockey camp in Chicago, Illinois, for deaf and hard hearing kids, sponsored by Dan McKenna of the Chicago Black Hall. I had attended eight years through high school because there were students who used ASL and students who only spoke many of us. Oil kids learn how to stand there and would turn up our voice for our time there. While at TBI, a friend invited me to go to church with them. So I went to church to the Assembly of God church with him. I really did like that church, but it gave me something to do. While I was on my way home to Calum do one weekend. It was raining so hard. A car with the opposite way crossed the line and was handy, handy straight for me. I tried to meet them, but found myself on a soft shoulder and handy down a steep hill. I tried to turn back up to the highway, but I knew I wouldn't make it. Somehow, I was backed, backed up on the pavement and knew it had to be God helping me. The whole watch of the way home, I couldn't get that off my mind. I told God I would faithfully attend my friend's church. At that church, I learned about repentance. That was idea, but I felt no different. Then I was taught about being baptized. So I got baptized in water by using the title Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I found no different. Other people at the church talked about speaking another language and how wonderful it was. It made no sense to me. So I was not interested. Many Christians say, praise the Lord. When the 
they feel tidy about what God does. I didn't. In fact, every time I noticed someone say pray, they pray to the Lord, I would get angry. I don't know why. Then an old lady from the church gave me a book about God, about people's testimony of what God had done for them. I took it home to read. It was very interesting. One story really inspired me, and I spoke out, praise the Lord. Uh, instantly, I started speaking in tongues. It freaking me out, so I shut it down fast. <laughs> Shortly after that experience, my friends were at the park. They noticed a man passing the track, and they warned me not to talk to him because he was in a cult. The man approached me and handed me a track. To be polite, I adopted it and done thank you to him. He noticed my sign and he started dying back to me. We had a nice conversation. Then he asked in time, I have been baptized in Jesus' name. And I told him, yeah, I've been baptized. Then he, to be clear, he asked me, was it in Jesus' name? And I had to tell him, uh, no. He invited me to his church. My friend told me not to go, but I didn't think there was uh, any harm in going. I drove to his church Sunday morning with the intent of just having someone else to talk to that new dining room. When I parked and was getting out of the car, I thought I stepped in a mud puddle. So I looked down and was going to step over it. The odd thing was there was no puddle there. I got out of my car and headed for the shirt door. I felt like I was walking ankle deep in the stream. Then knee deep, I looked around at other people walking toward the door. They were not having trouble walking. I finally got to the first set of double door, and the water felt just high. I struggled, but I opened the second door, that of the second door, and instantly I overwhelmed overwhelmed with water and dropped into the structure. Went right over me. Praying me was almost over, but people were running the aisle, and one older lady was walking slowly, but looked like she was mumbling. I asked her, Archer, to help her, since I thought she was having a stroke. He laughed, and then he led me to where the duck was sitting up front. During the altar call, I repented. We repented, and I felt overwhelmed by God's project. It would be that same project I would feel in my car as I would drive home to come do to visit my parents. I knew this was the night, this was the right shirt and the truth that was taught. I still had a lot of confusion, but later I felt such an urgency to be baptized again. But in Jesus' name, Pastor Fuller and the interpreter Vaughn met me at the church late 
Saturday night to baptize me in Jesus' wonderful name. You wouldn't think that I would have been overjoyed, but the opposite happened. I felt different, but I had to overcome huge down. Daniel would attack my thought, but I would pray, read my Bible, learn to fast. When I didn't think I could go on, God would touch me with his practice, and all down would be gone. This happened to me for three years. Then finally, I learned how to yield to his practice and fluently spoken tongue. I had to rely on his word and not just feel his practice. I had to learn how to trust and obey his word no matter what I thought. God is good all the time. Praise the Lord. Thank you, 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 Lord. I'm thankful for the power that's found in the Word of God that we can know that this is right. Thank you for that testimony. So powerful. So powerful. I hasten to a close now. We, it's the will of God at any cost. Bible as the supreme authority. In the Calvary Church, we embrace this other, another value, and that is we want to be an inclusive, compassionate community expressed by diversity. And quickly, there's four key words there, inclusive, welcoming, friendly, caring. We go to them. We don't wait for them to come to us. Inclusive, compassionate, showing mercy. Compassion is born out of understanding of your own gift of mercy. How do you have compassion on others when you really understand what Christ did for you? You have compassion for others. You have patience for others. You have grace for others. Community, one another. How many times does the Bible say to to do things for one another? It's this idea of community and diversity. Our church should reflect our community. Our church should reflect our community. Matthew 25, 37, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? He said, when, when did we see you a stranger or take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Calvary embraces this idea and this opportunity that we have to be an inclusive, compassionate community expressed by diversity. And I am not going to take much longer on that, but it's a powerful principle. If you'll live by it, there's power behind it. The fourth is to be relevant, to be relevant, that we value relevance pursued with excellence. Something is relevant. It is important to the matter at hand. In First Chronicles chapter 12, 32, it says the sons of Iskar had understanding of their time to know what Israel ought to do. 
The church must consider the the serious question of relevance, and that term gets uh, a a bad rap sometimes, but let me quickly just talk about it. In the early 90s, a denomination surveyed a a southern city where it wanted to plant a church. The survey centered around one question, why don't you attend church? 74% of those surveyed surveyed indicated they felt there was no value in attending church. 34% of that 74% believed that church had no relevance to the way that they lived. And while the church does not exist to accommodate secular definitions of relevance, we must also face up to the dilemma framed in the lyrics of an old Gaither song that says, why spend our time answering questions no one is asking? The the song says, I don't want to spend my time writing songs that answers questions that nobody's even asking anyhow. When the house is burning to the ground, there's just no time to stand around arranging all the pictures on the walls. I want to spend my life giving folks the living water and the bread of life that just can't, they just can't live without instead of spending all that time writing songs that answers questions that nobody's even asking anyhow. In 1865, an editorial in the Boston Post read, well-informed people know it is impossible to transmit their voices over wires, and even if it were possible, the thing would have no practical value. In 1897, Lord Kelvin said, radio has no future. In 1943, Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. Ken Olson, president of Digital Equipment Corporation in 1977, said there is no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. When the railroads were introduced in the U.S., some folks feared they would, they would bring the downfall to the nation, and they, they said, one wrote to Mr. President uh, Jackson, and he said, as you may know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at enormous speed of 15 miles an hour by engine, which in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended the people that people should travel at such breakneck speed. And we can go on and on. And while I'm sure these were very smart men for their time, they were not visionaries and they did not understand the changes that were coming to the world. Jesus preached from a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because he created a natural amphitheater so his voice would carry. Today I use a countryman. Paul would use papyrus and a quill ink. I use Microsoft Word and a Mac book pro and an iPad. The early church studied from scrolls and parchments. Today, we use charts and and computers, and we learn what the original language said in milliseconds. The apostles walked and took boats and animals most places he went. We drive and fly. Paul wore a toga. I don't. Let me state the obvious. The church cannot minister to the people of 2021 with methodology designed to reach the people of the 1950s. And I'm not saying that's what we do. I'm saying, though, we have to have relevance in this generation. A husband and his wife were in their kitchen. The husband was sitting at the kitchen table reading the newspaper while his wife was preparing a ham for dinner. The husband watched his wife cut off about one inch on both ends of the ham. He asked her, why were you cutting off the ham on both ends? That's a waste of good ham. He said, well, that's the, she said, well, that's the way my, my mom uh, made the ham. 
So the husband asked, why did your mom cut the ham off on both ends? She said, I I don't know. So she called her mom to find out why she cut the ends off both hams. Her mom said, because that's the way that my mom prepared it. We cut the ends off both hams. And so the grandma, the wife's grandma was passed away, so she called her grandfather, who was still living, her grandfather, and she asked him, grandfather, why, does gran- why did grandma cut the ends off the ham on both ends? He was silent as he thought about it for a moment, then he replied, so the ham could fit in the baking pan. <laughs> we borrow a lot of stuff from previous generations. But I, I, I tell us, all of us, that it, it, it impacts our relevance in culture. And again, I, I, have, I have no axe to grind here at this church. I'm just stating the obvious, that, that, that this is why it exists, because methodology does change. I uh, played the button box at All Nations Sunday, glad to play the button box. The accordion used to be the instrument that everybody played. The Hammond organ, I love it. That's the instrument that I love to play. And I don't think you can have church without a Hammond organ. But apparently this generation thinks that you can have church without a Hammond organ. And I don't get it. But I realize that things change. There was a church in the Midwest who I'm very closely associated with. In the 1970s, it was started by a young man bustling with young families. As trends and culture and technology and music and media began to shift, the pastor refused to allow these elements. They didn't even allow drums to be played. Most of the focus was on teaching and preaching prophecy. Nothing wrong with that. But it just became a church stuck in time. And guess what? In generations, in one, two generations, it became a church just for older people. And I tell you that because I don't ever want to make something that's not important, important. I don't want to make doctrines out of things that are not doctrines. There are methods that we use today because it connects us to the culture. There's methods that we use and things that we do and we evaluate how we do church, how we uh, set up the service, how long I'm preaching. I've already went over time. 45 minutes. Guess what? If this was 1980, I could go two hours. And that's ridiculous. I ran the tape ministry for our church in Kent when I was a kid and my dad would preach and teach and Tapes back in the day were 60 minutes, 30 minutes on each side. I'd flip that tape over, get as much of his message, and there were plenty of times when I had to take out the tape and get a new one so he could keep going. But I'm telling you that today, that relevance is making what is known understood. We got to make this gospel understood. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was relevant to to the generation he ministered to. He understood the cultural context. And so he used things like foot washing to illustrate his point, farming and fishing and those kind of things that connected them to the broader context. And we know that walking into a church that allows the move of God's spirit can be a great challenge to people. The way we do church and allowing God's spirit to move is a great challenge to people. And our desire is for them to be able to hear the word of God to be able to hear the word of God. And let me, let me end with this passage and I'm gonna make my next statement and we'll be done. First Corinthians chapter 14. This is what Paul said. I wish you all spoke with tongues, 
but even more that you prophesied. Why would he say this? For he, he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you unless you utter by tongue words easy to understand. How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. When we allow for relevance pursued with excellence. It allows people to understand. It's already a hurdle to walk into an environment you know nothing of. Anybody remember the first time you walked into a spirit filled church. I don't remember it. I grew up in a spirit-filled church, but some of you remember that, that moment of being freaked out when you walked in. There's already hurdles, and so we do everything we can, every ministry team, every leadership element, every guest service, every worship service experience, every biblical teaching, the webcast, the sound, the lighting, the decor, the upkeep of the maintenance of the building. It allows us to be relevant in a culture so that people can understand who God is. I don't have time for it. I'm sorry. I took too much time. Stand with me. Stewardship is the fifth one embodied in generosity. Stewardship embodied in generosity. How we handle the the resources God has put in our hand impacts what we do collectively. Can I tell you, stewardship, stewardship begins with putting God first in our finances, tithing, I don't think you're generous when you pay tithe. I don't think you're generous when you pay tithe, when you pay the first 10%. I think you're a good steward. I think you understand biblically that God comes first. That's a good steward. Second element of stewardship is living within your means. Don't spend more than you make. So we espouse that, we believe that, that, that we want to be a church that values stewardship embodied in generosity. And so as we close tonight, I have another evaluation for you. I'm going to pass this out. For sake of time, we won't have you do it during app time. Did you get it already? Okay, thank you. It's called evaluating our guiding values. Okay, I didn't think you had that. Because Sister Teresa is all over the instructions I give her. (laughs) The first one is evaluating membership. How connected are you? This next one is evaluating how aligned you are with the mission of the Calvary Church. There's some tough questions on there. I have to be honest. There's some tough ones. Tough statements on there. But I encourage you to see how aligned are you with the mission to help people find a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and to live out his purpose. How aligned are you to the mission of the Calvary Church? I want to pray for you in closing. And I thank God for an amazing church. Thank God for a church that believes in the mission of making disciples. 
And I want to pray for us as God continues to open up doors and open up opportunities that if we would align our values to the mission, there's no telling what God could do through us collectively because we are members one to another. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you for, God, the opportunity to look into your word. I thank you for the testimonies that were shared tonight that brought faith and encouragement to us. I thank you, God, for everything that you're doing through us and in us. I pray, God, if as we walk through this evaluation, if there's something that maybe challenges us or, or sparks something that we've let go in our life that used to be very important to us, I pray, God, that you would allow us to realign, to realign our lives to your mission, not just an individual mission, but Lord, we're trying to do this together. We want to be connected one to another because we are greater together than we are individually, Lord. And I pray that you would just use this church in a great way. I pray that you would bring us back on Sunday on fire for you. We thank you, God, for your grace and mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.